1: Welcome to the Poetry Questions TPQ20, where we sit down with your favorite authors to talk about passions, process, pitfalls, and poetry. My name is Chris Margolin. Let's expand the conversation. Yeah. Well, it is an absolute pleasure to welcome you onto TPQ20 today. Uh, we always like to start off by saying we know who you are, but our audience may be new to you. Uh, so if you were to give the bio that has not landed on the back of your book so that your publicist might have, uh, who would you say you are?
0: <laughs> well, I'm a mother. I'm, a, you know, a wife, a teacher, uh, a poet. Um, a waitress uh you know i've been uh, many things in my life and um and all those things go into making me what i am which is a lot a poet
1: you know i like that so and that actually gives us some good spots to start because i always like to i always like to figure out the through lines between people's actual lives and the you know the the lives of the writer that they are as well um and I like the fact that you said all of you kind of comes together to make you who you are as this poet. Um, You have obviously had a, had a lengthy career in publishing. Um, So if we go back to, you know, 1990 and awake uh, with Boa and it's, it's, it's so fun to see uh, the longevity of certain presses. And I love Boa is one of the great presses and it's just, yeah, it's amazing. And so, so we get back to 1990 um, and you have awake come out. Uh, do you think, looking back on it now, did you ever think the trajectory of your career would go as it has since that publication? Was this kind of was was this your continued goal of publishing poetry, or what was your goal in 1990?
0: I don't know if I had a goal a goal concerning poetry. I mean, I never. Th- Thought that it was going to do much of anything except be something fun to show my friends or, you know, um, and certainly I didn't even expect the book, <laughs> you know. And uh, I mean, I w- I felt excited if I ever got a poem published, and then that's you know, all my friends were sending their manuscripts out so. I started doing it too, but I really didn't expect much. However, I got at least like five rejections, and I think three of them said something like, uh, "This was a finalist," or "This was a, you know, but try again next year." And right. you know I mean, they said nice things. <laughs> and um, But then, I um, met Philavine who asked me if i had a manuscript and i at that point i knew i said well what poet doesn't have a manuscript you know and he said well send it to me you know i can't promise you anything but i can at least get it read by someone Mm. you know and i said great so i sent him my manuscript and he sent it to boa Ah, and uh,
1: that's that's so amazing i mean that the I always I always find it fascinating. I, I've talked to hundred and fifty odd poets on here, and I always find it fascinating the origin story for kind of how certain people, you know, who found certain people and and who read what to bring them into you know to bring them into this weird world that we have here of poetry.
0: Yeah,
1: I it was funny, and, I was talking.
0: You know, Phil Levine I met because I had published some poems and. A little magazine called five fingers review which was mm-hmm. west coast magazine and he had an interview in there and uh so he read the poet you know the oh. poems in the magazine which very few people do right. and um and he wrote a little postcard to the press saying tell this woman i like her poems oh my and uh, i they called me they said you got a postcard from Phil Levine, you know and i you know, they read it to me and I said, well, is there a return address? And they said, yeah.
1: It's, it's incredible. Cause that's kind of like, you know, today's version of like a, a retweet from somebody. It's, it's amazing how, how, you know, they, he had to get out there through the press to be like, Hey, I want to find this person. Yeah. Like I was telling to my, uh, I teach middle school and I was talking to my middle schoolers the other day about um they used to publish those address books of like celebrities, oh, yeah. yeah, and how easy it was in you know the 80s and 90s to just send a letter or make a phone call. And now it's you know it's a very different world that we live in. And and I guess that does lead me to a question in a world today where promotion and self-promotion is so accessible and easy and sometimes overwhelming. How has promotion of poetry changed in, you know, the the 30 odd years that you've been publishing?
0: Well, I remember um, before Awake came out, uh, my friends were making what we called broadsides. Okay, But what they were was your poem and then maybe some kind of picture or decoration and you would tape that onto a piece of paper and then you'd put it on a Xerox machine <laughs> and Xerox like Twenty of them, and then you'd go put them up. You know, you'd do guerrilla marketing. You know,
1: postering. Oh man, as a musician in the nineties, postering was like a twenty-four hour job sometimes.
0: Yeah, and it was fun, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And um and so that was kind of a I, I'm not even sure if it was promotion as much as it was just kind of fun to do. Yeah. And, um, and then by the time my second book came around there were there were things like like doing a a reading thing hmm. or not that anybody paid you to do it but if it was right. close by you know you would go and do little reading things and then by i'm not sure when the internet came in but um yeah. you know, the posters got better
1: right or, <laughs> right
0: you know better color xerox and you know okay. <laughs> but um but when once the internet came in, then it was crazy, you yeah. know. And it, yeah. now, yeah, I mean, you can see what any poet is doing at any given time in the universe. It is know?
1: it is pretty cool. One of one of the things that I've loved about uh, you know about Twitter, um, and you know I know Twitter's in a weird space these days. But one thing I've always loved is is the willingness for poets to post early drafts of things. Yeah of allow us into the process that we we didn't even get i don't think during like the tumblr generation or the old you know poetry.com era of yeah. poetry like it's nice it's nice to see kind of that inner mindset i know uh annalise Gelman has a great uh, a great um kind of online medium called midst where it's it's actually watching the poet write And then you're providing different revisions and they're they're redrafting things on screen and it's it's a pretty incredible process wow you know did you how you know how was kind of the your poet circle throughout the years you know in a world of twitter it's very easy to connect with so many people and have accountability partners of sorts but did you have accountability partners
0: Not in the beginning. I mean, in the beginning, it was just my accountability to myself.
1: (laughs) And were you able to maintain that? How how did you maintain accountability to your own writing? How do you just
0: because because I enjoyed doing it, you know? I had I I was a big reader. And there was just I was so grateful to those people who had written books and allowed me to get lost in them and, Mm. and a different life and see things through different eyes. And I kind of wanted to respond to them, you know, and say, "Oh, well, here's what I'm thinking or doing, or you know." And um, so then I I I was in, living in in uh, San Diego, and um and I a a boyfriend of mine had, was going to move to San Francisco and asked me if I wanted to go. And I thought, oh, that's where the poets are, mm. you know, right? Because back then, yeah. oh, yeah, that was a big deal. And I thought, oh, OK, you know, I, I was not that thrilled to go with him, but I wanted to go <laughs> to San Francisco. And so I thought, why not? You know, I mean, it's just up the road. And um, and I and I did meet a lot of poets. I met my first poets through the poets in the schools program mm. that we had back then And I was introduced to that poet by Mo Gaffney and, um, uh, you know, who's the other um, woman that she, you know, she's in the Witches of Eastwick or something. And Kathleen (laughs) Njamini. Kathleen Njamini and Mo Gaffney used to do comedy shows in San Diego. (laughs) And when I told them I was going to San Francisco, they said, oh, well, we know a poet there. Her name is Toby Kaplan and you should talk to her. Well, she lived turned out right around the corner. And she was in poets in the schools. And I joined a workshop that she mm. was hosting. And from there, I found out about workshops and I started going to workshops and I was a junkie. You know, it was like <laughs> any workshop I could find. And then I took a class at um the extension, UC Berkeley Extension in poetry. Mm-hmm. I met new I met Jane Hirschfield there. Mm-hmm. Stephanie Marlis, a bunch of people that I ended up being friends with. And I met Kim Adonizio, became my best friend in poetry in San Francisco, because she asked me to come and do a reading for Five Fingers Review. Ah, nice. And afterwards, I was new to San Francisco. And I said, I'm not sure where I parked my car. I just (laughs) near an alley, you know. And uh, so she said, oh, that's okay. I'll walk with you. And we walked around for an hour looking for my car. Oh, and no. in the meantime, we became friends. And then for a long time, me, Kim, Christina Howe, Glory Ducine, my husband, um, we, we all met once a month at each other's houses, uh, gave, you know, made a lunch and whatever, and sat down and did a poetry workshop with each yeah. other. And we called ourselves the Heart's Desire Poetry Gang.
1: Oh, I love that.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, that's great. What with, with the workshops you're taking? So, like the first, the first big poetry workshop I took was uh, Taylor Molly used to do workshops uh, for uh, for Wordstock in Portland um, for many years. So about twenty years ago, I took my first workshop from him out here, and it was it was life changing. I mean, I hadn't really, I hadn't really understood the word or, or the world or the value of spoken word poetry at that time. Okay. So it was, I mean, truly altering. Was yeah. there a a workshop leader for you who kind of changed your world a little bit?
0: Well, you know, I mean, my very first workshop was, was in San Diego. I went, it was a class and it was a night class. I had a young girl, young child, And so I would get my roommate to take care of her on Thursday nights or whenever Mm -hmm. it was and um, would go to that class. And it was like a workshop. Right. You know, and it was taught by this um, poet named Steve Cowett. Mm. (coughs) And he was incredible. I mean, he was like my first introduction to contemporary American poetry, as well as world poetry mm. you know he was just fantastic oh, and that's awesome. I really I mean I've had poetry teachers since then Hannah Block was my poetry teacher and in um when I was getting my BA at Mills College she was wonderful and um and then I'd go to the Napa Valley Poetry Conference where I had a number of workshop leaders yeah. like Robert Pinsky and Carolyn Porche and um, you know, I write, I mean, you just, Jerry Stern, oh, uh, Galway Canal. And so that was my second introduction to <laughs> a big, you know, kind of uh, conference with lots of workshops. Right. And um, I mean, I got a great education. I probably got as good an education as any MFA student by going because the uh, extension class that I took at UC Berkeley, he would have Louise Gluck, jack gilbert uh you know right i mean he would invite his friends oh my god and they would just come to the class and talk to you about your poems and you know and i lived in berkeley so there was right. a week every other night right down the street at cody's bookstore uh, i mean i was immersed in poetry early on uh, so i had I, lots of outlets for
1: That's so cool yeah. Like I went to uh, I, I went to Pacific University in Forest Grove, Oregon, and now they have a, a wonderful low residential program uh, for an MFA program. But at that time, they didn't get a lot of poets out there. Uh, the only the only poet that spoke in the four years I was there, uh, Stephen Dunn came out. Wow. And it was that was it was a wonderful experience. He read uh, he read essays from his book Truth. He wasn't even reading poetry. Right. It was, and it was a gorgeous reading. Um, now I look at that, so, I'm so i so jealous of students who go there now because there's just the the access to just incredible language. Well, it was language. called,
0: it was called uh, um, I mean, because I found, my husband and me and Marvin Bell founded the Pacific ah, University. Ah, out of in Forest Grove. University, in Forest Grove.
1: Nice. Yeah.
0: So I don't know what came before that.
1: Not much. So the creative, right, I will say we had a great creative writing program there. So I graduated in 2004. Three from undergrad um, with a degree in creative writing, and at that time, uh, Kathleen Postma and Darlene Pagan and Doyle Walls. Um, mm-hmm. There, the poetry program there alone was just uh, it was amazing, and there were there were I think uh, at that there were 740 students on campus, and I think the creative writing program had 12, uh, and it was such a personal, just wonderful, wonderful group, and we had. We had a few people who went on Gina Daggett who went on to become a Tin House editor for a while. Yeah. Um I mean so there were there were some pretty yeah. powerhouse writers in there.
0: I remember Kathleen Postman. I mean she yeah. was there still when we came and Yep. created the yeah. creative writing program there.
1: Yeah, so. and Darlene I know Darlene Pagan released uh released a collection, I believe uh, just pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um and then yeah. yeah, it was it was fun. Doyle Doyle Walls was truly he, he was just a lover of poetry and I still have all the binders at the beginning of every semester, he would just hand us this binder of hundreds and hundreds of pages of poems. And we would just be allowed to read them. Um, and it was, it was really a nice way to introduce us to, you know, his favorites, obviously, but it definitely opened doors for us to look for everything else.
0: And not without any kind of direction, just kind of look like a map. Here's Yeah. And was... You can go to Istanbul or Venezuela. Where do you want to go? You know?
1: Exactly. Yeah. But,
0: um, yeah. I that that uh, Steve Cowett was like that. He was just so full of energy and exuberance for poetry. Ah. And there's something about you know they say when you do go to school, you rarely remember anything about what you learned, right. but you do remember the enthusiasm of certain teachers. Yes. You go, oh, Mr. So and so, or Ms. So and so. You remember not what they taught you as much as you remember how excited they were yeah. about the subject.
1: Yeah. And passion is truly, and passion will drive you f- much farther as a, as a teacher and student combination than, than anything else. That's an absolute.
0: And you can't teach passion, but you can no. display you, it. Yeah. And then if others have a, a passionate bone in their body, <laughs> They're going to respond and find their own passion.
1: Yes, exactly. Um, So I have to ask a question about um, a Hugo House presentation you gave in 2017. It was about, uh, it's on your website. It's on poetry and music. Um, And you talked in there about uh, how everybody, um, the reason that people fall in love with poetry is that everybody finds their anthem. And that it's a, you know, poetry is a song for everyone. Um, and I was really curious when you found poetry, when you were younger, what was the anthem for you? What were those early poems that you kind of fell in love with and encouraged you to want to write?
0: Well, you know, when, my, when I was growing up, there wasn't a whole lot of poetry to be had, but my mother was a great reader. So there was. And so were people all over America, really. I mean, right. everybody had Carl Sandberg, Robert Frost, E.E. E. Cummings, you know, and she had those books too. And I certainly read them. But what I really loved were her adult novels. Mm. You know, <laughs> I, I loved reading about adults. Wow, they're so complicated. <laughs> you know, I don't understand anything they're doing, but it's amazing, you know. Adulting and uh, is so hard. So you know, I loved novels. But I have to say, when the novels, the prose sort of rose up and became poetry, which often a novel will do, you know, mm-hmm. there'll be a passage where the the main character stops and looks at a vegetable bin and starts describing the colors and the smells and the sounds of the street. I would just go, wow, you know. So I think I was a, a poet. I was looking for poetry. Right. I didn't really get it until I went to Steve Cowett's class hmm. and he introduced me to real poets that were <laughs> alive and living in the United States and ah. were women, you know, and that weren't white, <laughs> you know, <laughs> poetry from other countries. I mean, I, I just went crazy. And um, so my first, one of my very first experiences with true poetry was when he read letter to Miguel by uh, Pablo Neruda out loud in class. And it's a longish poem, you know, but by the end of it, I was just crying. I was just, you know, it's about two exiled poets, you know and, and they're sending letters back and forth across the ocean to each other. And, oh, it just killed me, you know. And then I read Carolyn Forche and Sharon Olds and said, oh my God, that's yeah. what I want to do. I want to write like, <laughs> like Carolyn Forche and Sharon Olds. I want to make images like Forche and I want to write about domestic life, you know? Yeah. And they showed me how. And that those were my teachers, you know, yeah. Pablo Ruda, Sharon Olds, and Carolyn Forche.
1: That's, a, it's, it's amazing. It's It's always the 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 poets reread we when we're growing up and the group of people who kind of those contemporaries the the generations each have you know this contemporary group of great you know great american or otherwise poets coming up like right now i feel like there's this awesome group of like 22 to you know 30 year olds who wow. are just really just they're just killing it right now and there's so much coming out mm-hmm. um, it's nice to see so many people releasing so much so much just genuinely interesting and well thought out poetry that looks like people sounds like people feels like people it's a it's a refreshing change especially as a as a middle school teacher it's nice to uh you know the the youtube world has opened up access to showing my students like poetry that you i I love showing them things from youth speaks because they're the same age as those kids and the they just, you know, they, yeah, Yeah, it's, it's a whole, I mean, it really is a whole new world for some of them who had just been taught acrostic poems or like where I'm from poems from, you know, their elementary school teachers, which isn't, I don't want to say that's a, dis- oh,
0: yeah, it's fine. But when they can really sink their teeth into a poem that yeah. me it's from their neighborhood, it's from their, People, they're part of town. They're, you know, whatever. I mean, the things yeah. they know of this world. You know, um, I remember reading a poem in which I had a, a uh, little Wayne appear <laughs> partway through the poem, and a bunch of high school students listening to the reading, like two hundred high school students. You <laughs> know, and when I mentioned Little Wayne, they just about went out of their seats. You know, yes. and. And it's a pretty long, extended thing about the diamonds in his teeth, <laughs> and and then when I was done with that poem, they gave me a fucking standing ovation. Yes. Like, "Yeah, that's what we want to hear—some Lil Wayne poems." You know,
1: that's awesome. Yeah, I that. do. I always start out with uh, with uh, Nate Marshall's "LeBron James" is one of the first ones I give because yeah, yeah, they know exactly, and it's twenty years ago so it's so long well so it's so long ago now that they can see the longevity of the career and what he's talking about so early oh i love that stuff it's fun to catch those catching those connections is always i mean it's a it's a special moment
0: yeah i taught poetry in the schools for years and i would always be so jealous of these students because i would have loved to have (sighs) a poet come to my class and yeah tell me poems and let me write poems and, you know, uh, and they loved it. Every, every class without exception, there was one kid in the back that was really quiet and <laughs> hardly ever, you know, moved, let alone said anything. And then they'd turn in these incredible poems and the teacher would say, that kid is a real fuck up. How do you, how yeah. does he get to your class the whole time? How, you know, now I, I go, he's great you know yeah. where she's wonderful it and- was
1: always the quiet ones when i did poetry yeah. slams in the high school classes that i taught and i would put them in teams i would always tell the captains of the teams look for the quiet ones they're going to be your they're going to be your best your best poets yeah like you know once once you can break through the the wall or just allow them to you know let them know that it's okay to do what they're doing yeah. ah well, as we kind of shift toward the end here, uh, what is coming up next for you in your world? What do you? Uh, what is on the horizon?
0: Well, I have uh, a new book of poems coming out soon, uh, called Life on Earth, and uh, and then I have a book of um, little mini essays and poetry prompts, oh. called Finger Exercises for Poets.
1: Very cool.
0: And uh, so both of those are in the hopper. I mean, they're at my publisher and they've given me a contract for both of them. So they'll be out. <laughs> they, they say the finger exercises one will be out in summer of 2024.
1: Cool. <laughs> that's, hey, you know, it's something to look forward to.
0: <laughs> it is, but damn, you know, that's <laughs> only a, a
1: year out. and a half away. <laughs>
0: I know. And I don't even know when the book of poems is going to be out. They They won't tell me. You know. ah
1: well i am i am absolutely excited for them the finger exercises for me as a teacher it sounds amazing something i can of yours i can bring well, into the it's classroom
0: like, it's very similar to the poet's companion you yeah know? little essay and then a bunch of prompts and ah, models, you I know love it and uh so that should be a good teaching the poet's companion has sold more books mine mm-hmm. and kim's all our books put together. I mean, Uh, that thing just has legs and the internet part. We actually had a chapter on the internet, which was like 20 years ago. (laughs) That's totally fascinating, you know, but people still buy it. They just skip that chapter. (laughs) None of the websites are good anymore. None of the, you know, they're all
1: on that. uh, What the Wayback machine, that website, they're out there somewhere.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, thank you so much for hanging out with me today on TPQ20. It's been an absolute pleasure to speak with you. I really appreciate the time. uh, And I look forward to sending more and more people your direction and reading everything that comes out from you. So thank Thank you so much.
0: Thank you so much. You know, this is a real bane for a poet. (laughs) Nobody wants to talk to poets. If you tell somebody on a plane you're a poet, they they turn (laughs) away and look out the window, you know. (laughs)
1: Well, I want to talk to as many as I can. And I plan, I plan far too many of these every week. So, uh, so, you know, I pack them in when I can get them.
0: Thank you for the good work.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And I will talk to you at some point soon. Have a great rest of the night. Bye-bye.
0: You too. Bye-bye.